Are you ready for God's word? Oh yeah, me too. Uh, Why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And today I'll just go ahead and kind of tell you right up front, I'm going to talk a lot about sex today. And, and, um, and, and I want you to hear something from me. Um, I know there may be some that's like, is this really the place for this? Should, should, should we really talk about this on a Sunday morning? Um, well, they did, Paul did, because the, the first Corinthians has a lot about sex. We're going to read some of it. And it was read in church when they met. That's what it was used for. And so Paul thought a Sunday morning was a great place um, to, to share about sex. Now, let me also say this. Um, I'm not, I, I'm going to, the Bible's not rated G. I know we give a G version to our, our little people and we should, you know, I mean, like how many, it was like when I was a teenager, I finally learned David cut Goliath's head off with his own sword and carried it around for a while. I was like, why did they keep me from this wonderful truth? I thought the end of the story was when he fell down. Like, this is awesome. The Bible's more NC-17. And so, um, but having said that, I have, I have three kids. And I'm not going to say anything today that I did not tell my boys when they were 11 and 12 years old. Because of the culture in which we live, which is doing a great job at discipling our young people about sex and relationships. We don't think about culture discipling, but if to disciples to become a follower of the way. So culture is making them a follower of the way. Not the way, yeah, a way. But, um, so having there's my disclaimers. And so if you have someone under the age of 11 in this service, might be a good time to try. Um, Pathway kids. <laughs> so, um, but if not, then it, it, my kids, they'll be in the four o'clock and, and I'll be sharing the same thing. And so, um, so just there's a disclaimer. Does that make sense? I think where we have to start the discussion of sex, and this isn't the point, but sex is God's idea. God, sex was God's idea. And it wasn't just to procreate. God is so big and so powerful. If all he would have wanted sex to be or an encounter to have uh, for procreation, he didn't have to make it as elaborate, as exciting, as intense, as passionate, or as pleasurable as sex. So, so sex, is, sex is God's idea. Um, but times have changed because in, in the garden, think about this, where it started, God created Adam and then he, from Adam, he made Eve and the Bible says, and they were naked in the garden and they were unashamed. Let's talk about, we talk a lot about what God created. Let's talk about what God didn't create. Uh, clothes. I mean, he, he eventually did with some fig leaves, right? Right. After the fall. But, but initially God's like, no, be free. Right? Are you with me? Um, husband, wife. Let's think about this. Husband, new wife in the garden, no clothes, no TV, no social media. Wonder what they did all day. And if you're embarrassed now, it gets worse. All right. So, anyways. <laughs> And so here, here's what I want you to know is that this was all God's, this was God's plan. Are, are you with me? This was God's idea. And as I've said all along, if he is the author, he's the authority. 
We don't want to let someone else be the authority of something he authored because when we remove the creation from the creator, we lose its purpose and it becomes perverted every time. And, and so we want to stay connected to God in the issue of sex because he's the expert. I don't know if you ever thought about this. God is an expert on sex. He's an expert on it. He knows how it's supposed to work, where, it's, where it works best, what it's for. Like he, God is the sex expert. Because it was all his idea. And, and so, so now, though, we live in a culture and, and, and times have changed. Because there was a day, there was a day growing up where boy meets girl. There's a little flirting, a little giggle. And over time, boy finally works up the nerve to ask girl out for a soda. And they go have a, a cherry vanilla soda together, two straws. Oh, I know. And this goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, there is that first kiss. Ooh. And then they're going steady. And she wears his letterman jacket. Oh, it's so sweet and so But things have changed. Things have changed. Like used to, you organically met a person and developed some sort of relationship and got to know them, eventually asked them out, then went through a series of hanging out together, whether that's dates or in groups, and eventually decided this is the one I, I want to date exclusively, and you became a dating couple, and then eventually you got married, you got engaged, then you got married, then you went on a honeymoon. You know, this was kind of the progression, but things have changed. And, and so it was that way, and then, and then like with the movie You've Got Mail, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, great movie, one of my favorites. Actually, I have a sensitive side. I do. Then became meeting people digitally through email exchange, right? And, and then became wedding, uh, or not wedding, dating websites uh, like eHarmony, you know, Christian Mingle, <laughs> Farmers Only. And there are so many more. But anyway, so, so then we became, we were meeting people online, right? But now times have changed anymore. Now, now there are apps like OkCupid, okay Hinged, Bumble, and the grandfather of them all, Tinder. Tinder. And Tinder was created to help people connect, but, but the thing is now what Tinder is, is, is based on your, your settings and your, your location, it brings people up on your phone and then you choose whether you're interested in that person. Um, it's a check yes or no, but in a different way because you don't know them at all. You're just looking at a picture and it's either like, I like it, that's swipe right. I don't like it, swipe left or super like it, swipe up, right? And so now, by the way, this is a good time to silence your phone so you don't get a Tinder notification why I'm talking about Tinder. Okay, and so, and the problem is that this app, regardless of what the intention was, it really has become a hookup app. It, 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 according to different articles, you can read them online, but now uh, a young female was saying that today uh, boys are not even interested in dating. They're not even interested in a relationship. They, they really are just wanting to have a casual sexual encounter and go on with their lives. Now, I know you're probably sitting in here as Christians and you're saying, no, I'm on Tinder, Pastor, because I'm hoping to find the one. Maybe you and three other people are on Tinder for that reason, but for most of them, there's a lot. You have to understand how much swiping is going on. Um, there are over 1.6 billion swipes a day just on Tinder. 1.6 billion swipes a day. Tinder says that they have made 30 
million matches so far, 10 million users a day, 1 trillion swipes so far, with 25% of Tinder users being very honest just to say, I am just using Tinder because I want a casual sexual encounter whenever I want a casual sexual encounter. It's changed our culture. We, we no longer have boy meets girl and all of this time. It's now if we watch a movie, if, if, if they meet in a bar or a club or at a restaurant, usually within 10 minutes, they're engaged in a sexual relationship. And culture is teaching us you would never marry someone you hadn't slept with first. That's how you, that's a part of dating. That's how you find the one. You, you sleep with them to see if you're compatible. This is, this is what's supposed to happen. And that's what culture is teaching us. But it's so contrary to God. Word, which brings us to Corinthians because the Corinthians were very much screwed up sexually. They had lost their way. Let's talk about Corinth. Corinth is a city located on the Isthmus of Corinth, right? But between Athens um, and, and Athens and Sparta, right? And, and so Corinth is a major trade route and it springs up really quickly. In a hundred years, it grows to a hundred thousand people, which if you put that size and you think, well, hundred thousand people, I don't know. Well, Rome was only a million people. So in a hundred years, it became one-tenth the population of Rome. And, it, and, and you weren't really for Corinth, from Corinth, you moved to Corinth. So lots of young professionals, lots of money, lots of business, lots of sex. In fact, Corinth quickly became known as the sexual capital of the ancient world. Sexual capital of, of, the, of the ancient world. Um, the high place in Corinth that Paul talks to tearing down the high place, the Acro Corinth, if you was, was set up for worship for the goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite is where we get the term aphrodisiac. Like that's why on Valentine's Day you do chocolates and strawberries and wine, maybe or some or barbecue sauce, one guy told me, but that's a weird story. And so, anyways, <laughs> we are in Texas. So Wow. So anyways, and so the, the, this part of this worship every night, and then every night, every night, every night, a thousand prostitutes would descend from the Acrocorinth into the city of Corinth. And people would sleep with them, and that was just considered, considered part, of, part of worship, part of life. This was just, and you're like, oh, that's terrible. We never sleep. We, we live in a day of more than, a, way more than a thousand porn, porn sites. Way more than that. But, but this was just, this, in fact, it was so bad that the Corinthians, they became, they had their own verb to Corinthianize. It meant to sleep with anybody at any time for any reason, whenever you wanted to Corinthianize. In fact, it, it would have been normal. You got to think Paul is writing to Christians and they are in this culture. And in this culture, it was very normal to have a group of friends over like on a Friday night or a Thursday evening, if you will. And, and we have a good meal and a couple of bottles of wine. And then it's like, well, we've eaten and we're full and we've drank, we've had wine. Now let's all have, have an orgy. If that word makes you nervous, it is in the Bible several times. Just disclaimer. God used it. And so literally they would just have sex with each other all together. And then it was like, hey, see you guys later. You know, maybe at church. That's why Paul is writing the Corinthians. He's like, this is not good. This is not what this is not supposed to be this way. That's why Paul has to say, it is not a good thing to sleep with your stepmother. 
And they're like, oh, I got to write that. I never thought about that being bad. Because culture had so discipled them. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's like, we, we, we got, I got to help you with some things because they're asking questions like, is this right or is this wrong or what's wrong with this? And so we're going to pick it up. First Corinthians six, verse 16 says, this is Paul. I'm reading from the message translation. There is more to, to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that could never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? So don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. I had to ask for help with this, titling this message as you might imagine. So I called on a friend named Marvin Gaye. And I call this message sexual healing. Because that's what the Corinthians need. And that's what the Americans need. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that speaks to every part of life. God, today, we, we want to hear from you truth. Truth that comes from you, from your word, by the Holy Spirit, to our hearts. God, help us to see clearly how you made us how you and why you design sex. Help us to understand your purposes. God, help us to walk in purity. Help us to walk in your truth. God, speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Um, when I thought about this talk, I thought, I, I want to cover a lot of bases. So I'm going to go long today. I can tell you that I'll try to move as quickly as I can. But I want to cover everything because I thought if I could go back and even talk to myself as a teenager, because so many times I went to, to, to youth rallies and, and it was an older speaker telling me, don't have sex, don't drink, and don't do drugs. And while I appreciate that, and I think that is really wise counsel, um, it doesn't answer a lot of questions on why. Why not? And, and the answer I got sometimes was sex, your virginity is this gift that you want to give to your spouse. It's the thing only you can give and you can only give it one time and you want to give it to this person. I'm like, that's good. And then they would say at the same time, sex is dirty and shameful. And, and, and so save it for the one you love. <laughs> so I'm like, let me get this straight. I have this dirty, shameful gift called sex and virginity that I want to save it for the one that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Okay. That clears it up for me. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> And, and, and I, I'm, I'm, 
I wanted in this to, to, to at least give you like at least the why. I think Paul is telling us the why. Like why is God, why did God make sex and, and why only in marriage and, and, why, and, and, and why is it, is, is it such a sin, if you will? Why? Um, and so I want you to understand, I talked about sex comes from God, but I do want you to understand one thing as Christians. I want you to understand that God's not a fuddy dud. God made sex pleasurable. Please hear me. He could have he given us another way to procreate that wasn't as intense or passionate or exciting. Let me just help you real, real clear. God, the big O was God's idea. How about that? We'll just go with that, all right? So let it heal you. And so... God, God made it that way because God wanted to be pleasurable. And that's why in, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, it's a, it's a good thing to have sexual relations. Like this is the word of God. It's a good thing to have sex, right? And right now there's a guy, I've never taken notes before. I'm writing that down, honey. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have. And, and look at, it's like, well, God, God doesn't understand. And, and God's not all about passion and sex and wild and crazy and fun. Okay, let me just read a couple things from the Bible for you. Song of Solomon chapter 7. Uh, the book of the Bible that Hebrew children were not allowed to, Hebrew boys were not allowed to study or read until they were 13. Chapter 7, verse 7. God's word. You are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. And I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. Are y'all picking up? What Solomon's putting down? Okay. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples and may your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. I don't know about you, but all of that sounds pleasurable. And it's in God's word. God, I don't think, I think culture wants to say, no, 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 God, God doesn't want you to have fun. And, and you know, and, and culture wants you to believe that sex apart from God is more fun than sex connected to God. So sex is pleasure, but also sex is powerful. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is what gets us to the text. But sex is powerful in that sex is both blinding and binding. This is why having sex with someone before you're married, it actually messes up your ability to see them as they are. Because you're blinded because you're on drugs. And we'll talk about this in a minute. They're natural drugs. They're in your body, but you're on drugs. And so those drugs blind you because you're high, right? But then you get bind, bound to that person, right? And, and so it's powerful. This is what, again, in your Bible, Proverbs, daily wisdom Proverbs, Proverbs 5, 16 says, why spill the water of your springs in streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves and never share it with strangers. Let your wife, not girlfriend, not someone you met on Tinder in the club. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. Dilly dilly, may you always be captivated by her love. Right? Here's what he's saying. This is too powerful 
to do this with just anyone. It is too powerful to waste. This is what he's saying. Pastor Tim Keller said it this way. He said, he said, listen, God doesn't restrict sex because of, oh, let me make sure I get this right. God doesn't restrict sex because it's, there it is. God doesn't restrict sex because it's bad. He restricts sex because it's so good. He doesn't restrict sex because it's so bad. It's because it's so good. It does what it's designed to do, which is what Paul's trying to talk to the Corinthians about. It does what it's so... So if you're brave enough, three points, you can write these down. The first thing is this. You can't separate your sex and your soul. You can't separate your sex and your soul. This is what the Corinthians thought, is that the, the body belonged to the spirit, and what we did with the body doesn't really matter with the spirit. And I would argue that I think a lot of people today think that way. Whether they've articulated it that way or not, they think there is, there is no consequence that these are not connected and I can do whatever. In fact, that's why Paul said the food for your belly, right? Because they, they were like food for my belly, right? And sex for my body. That's what they were thinking. Like I'm hungry, I eat. I'm feeling sexy, I sleep with somebody. This is just part of life. This is a, it's just an appetite. It's just the way that we're made. And, and it is an appetite. Listen to me, God gave you a sex drive. And I love what Pastor Levi Lesko says because he says, having a sex drive is not the problem. Letting sex drive is. And so what Paul says, he's like, this is where we have to start. Sex is sacred. And he starts here, your body then is sacred. And I wrote this in here just because I, I don't know, the whole time I wrote this message in this point, I kept seeing this young lady and I needed to tell you, your body is sacred. Amen. It is sacred. It is special. It is beautiful and wonderful, but it is sacred. It is for you. It is for God. It is for a husband. It is not for anyone else. It is not to be used for anything else. It is it's sacred. And that's what Paul says, your body is sacred. And then he said, so sin, sexual immorality is a sin unlike any other sin because it sins against your own body because it goes against, listen, sex changes you. It changes your body. It changes your brain, right? It changes the way you think. Sex changes you. And he's like, when we're having sex and we're not married, it is changing us. And if sex affects all of our personality, it, is, it affects our person. It affects everything about us. It doesn't just, sex Sex life is not just one part of our life. Our sex life impacts all of our life. And, that, and that's what he's trying to get apart. That it's not just casual. There really aren't just casual encounters. And I know today we think, oh, but, but you know, you know, swipe right. Woo, he was hot. Or, woo, she was fine. And, and then, well, we just got all tangled up. And, um, but, you know, it was safe because we, you know, we're, we don't have to see, use contraceptives. And I would tell you what Pastor Lily Giglio said. I don't know that they've ever, I don't think science can make a condom big enough to cover your soul. I don't think it's possible because what Paul is saying is it's not just your body involved. It's all of you being involved because it's designed to do something with all of your being that is reserved for marriage because it's what makes marriage stick. And so this idea that it can just be casual and it's just physical and he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not just physical fact. It's spiritual mystery. There's more going on than you think. Here's the truth of it. Here's the truth. This is what Paul says, and I'll say it this way. 
Two become one and they can't be undone. Like when there's attraction, there's some things that happen. There's chemicals the way God made us, but we get attracted. What determines what attracts me to somebody? Well, first of all, I have an arousal template, right? So there's just things for all of us. We look for different things and it's based on genetics, experience, and personality. It's what it's based on. And when when you get the right combination based on that template that you have, that's probably unidentified for most people, but you're looking for certain things or you're, you're, your body is, um, and, and you, you see somebody and they fit that, that arousal template, then, then all of a sudden there's this, this chemical that starts, hormones start moving. So estrogen, testosterone, and nitric oxide. What is nitric oxide? It's like nitrous for your car or Viagra for your body. It increases blood flow. So it's a chemical. So that's what creates that attraction. And then after that, then there's passion. Well, passion is now I feel a connection with you. Like now we're talking and this is more than I just swipe right because I liked you. But now we're talking, you know, on the phone, we're texting. I don't text. Anyways, um, Women, you should never go out with somebody that's going to text you. Hey, you want to do something Friday night? They better call you. I'm old fashioned. Anyway, so. But, but, but then, so then there's more chemicals. Epinephrine's released in your brain. So that's adrenaline in your brain, right? And then your dopamine goes up. That's the feel good drug in your body, right? And your serotonin goes down. That's what mellows you out. So you, what, what keeps you mellow just disappeared. And what makes you high just showed up. So now, woo, we're connected. I'm excited. You're the one, right? That's why I say, d- stop right there. Don't have sex. You're on drugs. <laughs> it's never a good idea to start having sex with somebody when you're on drugs. Give those drugs a time. Like, find out how they really are all the time. Talk to some friends and family. Slow this thing down a little bit. Because the next step is when we have sex, this is commitment. When we have sex, there's some more chemicals that are released. In women, it's oxytocin. and men, it's vasopressin. These are bonding hormones. And and when these chemicals are released, uh, what they say is, you're mine and I'm yours. That, That we're together no matter what. Our bodies get connected. Our souls get connected. It's not just skin on skin. It is spiritual mystery. In fact, Dr. Doug Weiss said it this way. The way God designed us was that so whatever we behold at the time of sexual release, we will glue to, attach to, hunger for, and will crave again. He designed us that, that, to, to behold one another and, and there's the time of sex and, and all that goes with that. And he says, when that happens, you're going to glue to them, attach to them, bond to them, and you're going to crave them again. That's what makes makeup sex so great. It is because you feel that division in your heart and in your soul and your body say, no, we want to be together. And you come back together again and your body say, oh yes, this is that one. Your body knows, Right? This is how God made us. We're connected, right? That, that sex is an expression of love that says, I give myself to you and no one else. It's an expression of love that says, I'm going to be here to raise the kids. I'm going to be here to raise the grandkids. I'm going to be here in the good times. I'm going to be here in the bad times. We are together. It's me and you against the world. That's how God designed sex to be. 
And, and so God designed two to become one and it can't be undone. So here we go. I'm not making a cake. I want to show you how this works. So a guy goes into a club to pick up chicks. <laughs> and if you didn't get the humor in that, you totally missed it. And so here's this guy, right? And he goes into the club and he's looking for somebody, right? And then he finds the one, he swipe right, they swipe right, whatever. And now they, before too long, they're in the apartment or they're in the car or they're wherever. And now they are together without clothes. Let's get it on. <laughs> Pour some sugar on me in the name of love. Just won't cover the generations. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I want to lay you down in a bed of roses. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. And, and now... Now, we thought it was just a casual encounter, but I can't tell where they start and I stop, or where I stop and they start. But that's okay. We'll probably get married until we don't, because sooner or later, the breakup, it must have been love, but it's over now, must have been good, but... But wait a second, when I tried to divide it out, how do I get, how do I know which egg was? Because a part of them went in there and a part of them stayed in there. I thought it was just casual, consensual, physical, biology. Well, but that, that was a mistake though. I mean, you know, and, and we're not going to let that happen again until we swipe right again. And then somebody else. And then somebody else all over again. Mm. I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. Hmm. Then we get ready to get married. Now you're in there somewhere and so are they and some of you is over there and some of you is over there and here's the thing your body does what your body was designed to do period and you're happy for that you want to know why because right now you're not thinking heartbeat 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 no there's an involuntary part of your brain there's a part of your brain that controls involuntary functions. And right now it's saying, boom, 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 boom. In fact, if you're in this service, it's saying, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and it's saying, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And it's doing that without your consent. And sex does what it does without your consent. 
And you can tell it, it's, it's just this thing. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's just, you know, it's just one night, but your body doesn't get it. And that's why you have that casual encounter and you still wake up the next day thinking about them. And there's something about that. You're like, I, I want to see them again. I, I, I want to say, I love you when I don't really even know them because your body does what your body does. Now, what happens? You introduce pornography. Whatever you behold at the moment of sexual release, you attach to, bond to, crave again. Because your body does. So here's the way. Remember how commitment, oxytocin, vasopressin. So God designed us to be sticky. Because he said, when you marry the right one, I want to make sure that when, when you marry the right one, you stick to them. Right? Because that's, that's that for the rest of our lives, me and you against the world. But when I use sex apart from God's plan, it actually works against me. Because now I could be stuck to images streaming through a phone or a computer. But even still, when God designed me to be sticky and I got stuck and then my body got stuck, but my, I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing. So then I slept with someone else where my body thinks, oh, this is the one. No, that's not what we're doing. Oh, this is the one. No, that's not what we're doing. Oh, this is the one. No, that's not what we're doing. And eventually, we don't stick to them anymore. In fact, studies have shown oxytocin levels decrease with each sexual partner. It's what culture won't tell you. Because they don't, culture themselves. They don't understand why God designed it. And here's what Paul said. We have to, we have to pursue the kind of sex. We, we must not, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. Why? It will leave us more lonely than ever. It works against us. Here's the second thing. Write this down. Porn is not a game. It's a gateway. Porn is, is not a game, it's a gateway. Um, the average first exposure to pornography is now six years of age. Oh, I know, it shocks parents. Um, can I tell you something that, that I wish I would have learned faster as a parent? Is we think kids are going to encounter things about when and how we encountered them. So in my generation, to, to be exposed to porn, you needed a friend with a dad who looked at porn and the friend could find the magazines. Right, so that that didn't happen, you know, till your teenager, junior high, high school, and and then he's like, "Hey, I found Dad's magazines," and we're like, "Ooh, everybody's going there after school," because we're curious, we want to know, and and then we're exposed, and we're like, "I didn't know that was like that." But see, every generation, it changes because of technology. Because, and, and now I've had people say, why, why are so many kids looking at porn? I'm like, because it's right next to the Bible app on their phone. Right. In the palm of their hand with them all the time. And we forget that it changes with every generation. And, it, and, and, and we forget culture's really good. The, the, the God of this world is really good. And so, so do you understand one third, 36% of the internet is pornographic? If you combine the, the traffic, the average traffic of Amazon, Twitter, um, and Netflix, at any given time, it will be la less than the amount of traffic of pornography being streamed and transmitted on the internet. 
25% of Google searches are sexual. Right? And we don't think about this as parents. We don't know this is going on. And we, because we're still like, I remember when I grew up, this, this is kind of how things. And, and now, at any given, in fact, right now, at this moment, on a Sunday morning, 1.7 million pornographic videos are being streamed right now. That's an average of every second of the day. Now, here's the problem. One out of three, so if you take a boys baseball team and there's nine players on it, three out of nine, one out of three boys ages 13 to 14 is a heavy porn user watching an average of 50 pornographic clips per week. So it is prevalent, it's an epidemic, it's a problem. Right? And here's, let me tell you really quickly what no one, what the porn industry is not going to tell you. Definitely. That pornography takes you somewhere. It takes you somewhere. It, it is aimed at a destination. Um, pornography, listen to me very carefully. Pornography changes the brain. So your brain is, um, is designed in such a way that, it has, um, that it's malleable. Um, the term is neuroplasticity. Now, your, your, your neuro, neuroplasticity, if you will, is at the highest in your early developmental ages, but we all have neuroplasticity to some degree. You can always learn something new. So your brain can be reshaped and changed based on what you want to use it for. And, and anytime you use your brain to do something, it creates a pathway in your brain. So if you decided to play guitar and you're like, I need to learn a C chord and you get the guitar and you're trying like, well, this finger goes here. This one goes here, here. I've done this before and the, the facial expressions help the finger to get to where it's supposed to go. And, uh, and, you get, and you're like, okay, there's a C chord and it's a boom, boom, well, that was close. And what happens is kind of like a, like, a, like a boy going through the woods, exploring in the woods, you're cutting a, a trail with a machete through your brain. You're making a path. It's a little dirt path where we can explore in the woods. But the more you play that C chord, that path becomes a dirt road, becomes a blacktop road, becomes an asphalt road, becomes a freeway, becomes an interstate. You get where I'm going with this. The more you use it, the more it's being... It, it's, and, and now here's the thing. Your brain has to be efficient because although it's like 2 to 3% of your body weight, it uses 20% of your en energy. And so your brain is really good at being efficient, meaning the parts of your brain that aren't being used, it steals from them to create these new pathways because road work is always going on in your brain, right? This explains why when I was in high school, I loved math and I like literally made a hundred in analytic geometry and trigonometry and all that kind of stuff. Yet when my ninth grade daughter asked me to help her with algebra, I'm like, now I know how this works <laughs> because I haven't used that part. And so it's grown over and now it looks more like a trail than a highway. <laughs> Are you with me? Here's the problem. Pornography creates a pathway in your brain. And, and the more you engage in viewing pornography, the, the, the more that pathway is used. And the more the brain will rob from other parts of the brain to make that path accessible, efficient. And, and now that's one problem, but here's the next problem. God created your brain with a thing called a reward center. And it is supposed to reinforce behaviors that you should do again, according even to God. For instance, if you go out and, and you 
yesterday you decided I'm going to put a flower bed around this tree and you worked all day digging everything up and you put the keystones all around it and you put the, 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 the soil and the plants and the mulch and the fertilizer and at the end of the day you step back and you're like, it's beautiful. In that moment, your brain, your reward center in your brain releases a cocktail of chemicals that includes dopamine and delta Fos B. Dopamine says, ooh, that was good. I did good. Delta Fos B says, can we do that again? And so, so dopamine says, ooh, that was good. That was rewarding. Delta Fos B says, I want to do that again. And God designed this way. By the way, same thing happens when you eat a good meal, like a good steak. Praise God for a good steak. You get a dopamine hit. By the way, this is what keeps you addicted to your phone. Every time you get a like, you get a dopamine hit. Um, so, so this is the way the brain works. Um, and God actually designed sex to stimulate the reward center in the brain. Now, if you're sitting here thinking God doesn't want you to have sex, you're immediately conflicted with yourself. Because God designed your brain that when you have sex, it releases dopamine. It's like, ooh, that was good. And Delta Foss B says, I crave that. I want to do that again. The problem is your brain can be tricked and pornography stimulates the reward center of the brain. And so when I'm watching porn, I'm creating a neural pathway and I'm getting a, co a cocktail of chemicals from my own body that feels good and craves doing it again. Delta Foss B, by the way, can stay in your system up to two to three months. Now, here's the problem. God created a man and his wife to be naked and unashamed. He created you to see one person beside yourself naked. And having seen only one person beside yourself, that would be the be-all, end-all of your experience, of your fantasy, of your desire, of your affection, the focus of your passion. And so having sex with your spouse, having sex with a person, triggers the reward center. Here's the problem. What happens... When I have endless people and endless fantasies and endless ideas bombarding my brain viewing pornography, it overstimulates the reward center and releases more dopamine than my body is ready for. So what does my body do? My body drives towards homeostasis, so it blocks the receptors so that they can't take in all the dopamine because it's trying to regulate you. So when you look at porn, you get a high, right? But then you get a crash. But the next time, looking at just what you looked at won't give you the same high because your body's going to try to block that much dopamine. So you're going to get less of a high but more of a crash. So what I have to do? Well, I have to increase the frequency or I have to increase the length that I'm viewing it, or I had to increase the types of things that I'm watching. If it sounds familiar, then you probably heard a talk in Red Ribbon Week called Say No to Drugs, because crack cocaine does the same thing to your body. Pornography is now known, or are, are, are considered to be five times more addictive than heroin. Here's why. The drug's in your body. And all it takes is a trigger. And Delta Foss B says, hey, I know what would feel good. 
And now we have an epidemic of people who are addicted to porn. The problem is in our culture, we, we just view it, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, there's nothing wrong with being porn. I mean, it's, boys will be boys. And what we have now, now we have men who are getting married, Christian men, and think, well, if I get married, I'll stop looking at porn because I'll have somebody I can sleep with. And then it doesn't fix it. They're still addicted to porn because they didn't have a sex problem anymore. They had a brain problem. Because porn, remember how the brain wants to be efficient? Well, an efficient porn brain has to have energy and resources, so it pulls them away from your prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal cortex is your compassion and your empathy, but it's also where you get logic and reasoning. That's why you can't try harder. Oh, I'll just stop looking. Mm -mm. You, sorry, we reshape the brain. The body does what the body does. And now I'm stuck. Now I'm, I'm an addict and I didn't even know you could be addicted to such a thing because nobody even told me you could be addicted to it. And now 30% of women, in, in Christian women, are addicted to pornography and nearly 70% of Christian men are struggling with pornography. Because no one told me that it, it was. I just thought, you know, I'll do this. And then when I get married. And now, now we have a problem. Because remember, if we change the brain, we, we change. Have you ever noticed if you start eating healthy, you crave healthy food? Your cravings, Delta Foss B, is always built around what you feed it. So now we actually have young men, healthy Christian young men, marrying beautiful Christian young women, and they're not able to physically have sex with their wife because their wife doesn't actually excite them sexually because their brain is still looking for the pornography. Now, it, before I go any farther, let me just say, there is hope. The brain can be reshaped. It is a process. And we're, the church has gotten this wrong with porn. We think you're supposed to try harder and pray. And trying harder and pray won't reshape your brain. You actually have to have a process, not a prayer. If you need more information on that, if you hit me up on social media or email me or let me know how to contact you, I have more information on how to walk a process to renew your brain and, and, and be free of porn addiction. Um, but it's, it's a real thing. Here's the last thing. <clears throat> Great sex results from good decisions before and after marriage. Okay, hopefully with all the scripture we've covered, I don't have to go back into it, but God really wants you to have good, he wants you to have great sex. Like it actually pleases him for a husband and wife to come together and have great sex. He's your biggest fan. Remember, he's a sexual expert, right? And so, so um, here's something you need to know, that purity after you're married is what protects contentment for the entirety of your marriage. Purity after you're married protects. So, so, so this, is, this is guarding, like Paul said, guard the marriage bed. Guard the marriage bed because purity after you're married is what keeps sex content, what makes you content in sex and fulfill. People, listen, it's true. Um, people who view porn are more prone to depression and less prone to sexual fulfillment. Uh, the, the Center for Disease and Prevention actually said people who view porn are more depressed and less physically help, healthy. 
And so like, if we want a healthy life and a healthy sex life, then, then after I'm married, then I've got to protect purity, which means I have to keep the wedding bed pure. So I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you straights, three S's of sex. All right, this, this will help you, all right? If you wanna have great sex, like I boiled it down to three S's. This is not something I really thought about. It came to me doing a Q&A and I thought I liked it so much, I put it in the message. Three S's to great sex. If you're a married couple, number one, that, that, that first of all, um, the first S is sacred. The, the wedding bed is kept pure. What does that mean? We keep everything else out of it. More importantly, everybody else out of it, Right? Like, like I, I don't want to sit here and say, but, but, but God designed the marriage bed, husband and wife get married and it is only them. So a question I get asked, pastor, we're married. We love each other. Is it okay if we watch porn together? Refer to point two. Do you want to together change your brain so that you no longer excite each other? And now you have to watch an hour of porn before you can actually have sex. That doesn't sound like a good idea and it kind of removes the idea of the quickie because now I need an hour of porn before I can sleep with my wife. Not a good idea. That's not great sex. So what I say is, look, the way God wanted this, he wanted a husband and wife naked, unashamed. We don't want anyone else in. So we're not inviting another person. We're not swapping partners. <laughs> Again, you may be sitting here like people do that. Yes, in our culture, Yes, I could tell you stories. We'll blow your mind. Right? So, so we want no, we don't know images, no other people. We just want it to be husband and wife. First S, sacred. Husband, wife, and God. God's there and he's, he's cheering you on. Woo! Right? Second S, safe. 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 This one is what gets me to the third S, which is where every... Every man's going to be happy, and most women. But we want it safe. Listen, this is vulnerable. This is the most vulnerable you'll ever be with another person. And it needs to be safe, meaning you have to be free to be you. You, you can't feel like you're, you're being compelled to act a certain way, do a certain thing, be a certain way. That, that, that if you want great sex, like, like I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard husband. The Bible says that, that, that I have a right to her sex, that I am, like her body is given to me and I have a right to sex. And I would say, so how's that working out for you? Because it doesn't sound like a good pickup line to me. <laughs> Unless you're a caveman. Me, man, you give me sex. I've just never seen that, like refer to great book for married couples, the act of marriage, the act of marriage, great resource for married couples. Do not read it if you're not married, uh, the act of, well, maybe if you're engaged, um, but the act of marriage, because you have to understand there's so many differences and there's differences guys and girls, and I can't go into all that, but just think if you just, the simple analogy is true. Men, they're a microwave, women, they're an oven, Right. So me want sex. Now, if a wife says that to a husband, he's like, thank God, you know, <laughs> my day has come. Right. And so, but, but we're different. So that doesn't work the same. All right. But, but it has to be safe. Everybody involved, you, the husband and the wife both have to feel safe. Right. And that's what gives us to the third one, which is sexy, because when it's sacred and when it's safe, then it can be sexy. Because the number one question I get from married couples is what's okay and what's not okay. 
Um, is Kama Sutra okay? We had that as a question. I, I, I think Kama Sutra is not because it's based on the Hindu religion and it's about religious rites, the Hindu religious rites and practices and all that. So Kama Sutra is a different religion. We want, that goes back to sacred. We don't want a different religion in our bedroom. However, sexual positions... That's just having sex. And there's nothing wrong with having a conversation with your spouse and saying, hey, I'd like to try something different. Would you be up for trying something different? This is the idea under sexy that as long as both, if, we, if we're sacred and we're safe, then if husband and wife have talks and they want to try different things or do different things, as long as they're both okay with that, it's really, I believe it's okay. I do, and I, and, I, and, I, and I can't meet many sex, Christian sexual therapists or, or marriage experts or relational experts that would disagree with that. That, that. that there needs to be an openness in sex. Like if you want great sex as a married couple, have conversation about it. Make sure you're communicating the things you like, the things you don't like, the things you like to try, the things you don't want to try. Have those, I think sometimes we, we get into ruts, I think, as marriage couples and sex, and I'm not trying to have a big talk about this, and, and you can just do the same thing over and over. And if everybody's happy with that, that's fine. But if somebody's like, no, I'd like to try something different, it's okay to have that conversation with, with your spouse. Hey, what would be, the greatest sex you're going to have is when you want to give pleasure more than get pleasure. And so when you have a conversation like, hey, what works for you and what would you enjoy? Because here's I haven't been thinking about this. There's some things that might work for me that I might enjoy. And you have that conversation. And here's the thing. You, you don't, sex doesn't always have to be at 1030 after the kids are in bed and we got 13 minutes before somebody's falling asleep. It doesn't have to be that way. You can actually plan times that you're going to be together sexually and, and, and block off enough time to say, hey, we might try some different things. Hey, we, we might use this time. We're going to make sure we're, 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 we're not half asleep and tired and and, and so this is the thing, because here's the thing, God made you sexual. And God made sex, and he wants you to have great sex. Now, here's the key. Remember, contentment in marriage really comes down to purity after marriage. Purity after marriage is all based on purity before marriage. So follow the trail. Purity before is purity after is contentment forever. Follow, follow it. Purity before is purity after is contentment forever. And, and this is the thing because here's the problem in our culture. It's like, man, I am free to be me. And, and now, you know, even girls are feeling more empowered. Females are feeling more empowered. I can do whatever I want with my body, you know, and someday I'll, I'll settle down, right? I'll just someday but we're training our body. And we think, man, I'll just sleep with people and, and do whatever I want, have sex and watch porn and all this stuff. But when I meet the one, when I meet the one, I'm going to say I do. And everything's going to be, we'll go to church. <laughs> Your brain can't handle that whiplash. Because you trained it to do something else. You trained it to crave something else. You trained it to think a different way. And now being married doesn't make you capable. It makes you accountable. And when you're accountable and not capable, you're usually miserable. Because now, now you have a secret porn addiction you don't want your Christian wife to find out about. Now you're not content or things aren't working or you're, or you're not fulfilled. And you're like, man, I just thought once I got married and I'd end with this big bachelor party, woo! And then I'd go to the altar and just all of a sudden somebody would click their heels and we would go back to Kansas. And it didn't work that way. No, because I trained my brain. 
And I, I know you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, yeah. But think about this, Pastor. If, we, if we're sleeping together and then we get engaged and then we get married, it's like I was sleeping with my wife all along. It's like inception. All of this became that and it didn't even matter. And when I say, no, 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 no. Because now when your wife's eight months pregnant, she helped train you on how far it was okay to go to somebody, to go with someone that you weren't actually married to. I had a man ask me one time, Pastor, I, I just, how far is too far? I said, I don't know. How far do you want someone going with your wife right now? How far do you want someone going with your 13-year-old daughter? Your 16-year-old daughter? Because I can tell you, I got 49 acres and a lot of equipment over there. They'd be so buried so deep, God never find them himself. This is the thing. It's, this, it's the purity before. This is where my character and self-control. Self-control before. Building self-control. Building character before. It's what enables me to build care, or have character and have self-control after. And so it's a lie to think I could do whatever I want and then I get married and we're just going to have this wonderful marriage of, of commitment and peace and unity and love and harmony. And woo! It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a lie. See, um, the way you honor God with your body when you're single will establish how you honor God with your body when you're married. And so the truth of it is, is that, that before you're married, self-control matters, purity matters, character matters, discipline matters, freedom matters, thinking matters, all of that matters before. Now I know what you're saying, well, but God forgives. Oh, pastor, God will forgive. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, I want to be a good Christian, but you know, I got needs. Air is a need. Water is a need. Food is a need. Sex is not a need. It's a desire. Let me just help you out if you're confused. I got needs. No, 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 no. Listen to me. Listen. Just think about this. I know, you know, I know that God, I know that's God's plan. I know that's God's plan. But, but, but I got needs, I got desires, and you know what? I, I can kind of do what I want, and then, you know, mm -mm, just miracle, click the heels. Jesus, forgive me. Woo, I emerged all as well. And, and here's the thought, thought I had is, if you're living your life intentionally against what you know to be God's plan, then is God really your God at all? Like, I understand mistakes happen. Thank God for grace. We have grace for the uh-ohs, not for the oh yes. That may be the best thing I've said all day. Tweet that, you know. But we have grace for the uh-ohs, not the oh yes. And so if we're sitting here saying, I'm choosing to do something contrary to what I know to be God's plan. Now, if you didn't know, you didn't know. But now you know, because I have worked hard in this hour to cover every possible thing I could cover in an hour. And now you know. But if you willingly choose to do something you know to be sin, that you know is not God's best, that you know is not God's plan, then my question to you really is, is God really your God at all? Well, I know God can forgive you. Yes, God can forgive you. He can. 
That's what's amazing about God is that he is gracious and he would forgive you. But you know what? I think God would rather be blessing you and increasing you and multiplying you and anointing you and helping you to walk in your calling and your purpose and your destiny. I think he'd rather focus his energy on the you he created to be and what he created you to be and what he created you to do. I think he would get more joy out of helping you walk in the fulfillment of your purpose and the reason you are here than just hanging out at an altar, going around in circles saying, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Are you ever gonna, nope, I forgive. Okay, nope, I forgive. I'd like to show you something. Okay, I forgive. You know, I got some blessing. No, okay, I forgive. Hey, man, I've got a call. No, 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 I forgive. Okay. I think God has bigger things for you than just to live in a cycle of you needing constant forgiveness because you refuse to do life God's way. Amen. And I know you may be here and you're like, you know what, I've, I've, Pastor, I've kind of blown it. Maybe you're here and you're addicted to pornography. Maybe you're, you're here and you're sleeping with someone you're not married to, whatever the case may be. Maybe you've had multiple sexual partners and you're like, oh God, what if I really can't ever have a relationship? Again, God is gracious, but listen to me, listen to me. God is gracious, but truth is true. God can redeem, but you, but you listen, you have to walk out of what you walked into. God can renew, God can restore, God can do miracles, but you have to choose to leave it behind. We call that repentance. You have to choose to look at it and say, this is a sin against my own body. It's working against the purpose and plan of my own body. And, and I've got to move away from it so I can move into what God has for me. And, and here's the thing, no matter where you're at, maybe you've never been married. You're like, I've slept with so many people. Here's the thing, God can, but you just, you turn the page, take a step. You know what it takes to change the trajectory of anything? One degree. Like if you want to change the trajectory of anything, just change one degree. It changes where it ends up. Like you, one, one, one on a compass, right? 360 degrees. And, and, and let's say I was headed over here at 90 degrees and I just ticked to 91. I'm going to end up in a different place. And what I'm saying is, by God's grace, change the trajectory of your life. Make a decision today. I'm not sleeping with anyone else that I'm not married to. If I'm addicted to porn, I'm going to get help. I'm going to talk to my life group leader. I'm going to talk to a friend. I'm going to call a pastor. I'm going to send an email. I'm going to ask for help. Make a decision today that, that, hey, wherever I've been and whatever I've been through today, I'm going to ask God to restore and redeem my life and to, and, and to purify my heart and soul again. And I'm going to walk in purity until that day that I'm going to practice purity now so I can appreciate the effects of purity later. I'm going to walk in God's plan and call just change it one degree and see what God can do with your life see what God can do in your life he has an incredible plan and I don't want what I want for me to take the place of what God wants for me I want what he wants for me so I want to live the life he's called me to and it's never too late I can always change one degree, two degrees, three degrees, and I can end up where God wants me to be. Amen. Can you give Jesus praise?
Why don't you stand with me and